Hello and welcome to Hillcrest To Go. I'm your host, John Parker. Today, Dr. Tom Goodman continues his series, The Gospel of John. Today's message is titled, Awakened by the Voice of Jesus. Now, an important message from Dr. Tom Goodman. Well, amen. It's wonderful to hear all those voices in this building. I asked uh, John to include a responsive reading this week so that we could all sort of hear each other around us, and it was wonderful to hear all of those voices. Keep in mind that we've got another service coming up. Be in prayer for that gathering, and be in prayer for those who are watching online today. We estimate probably 50, even 60 percent of our folks are still watching online, and that's all right. We are all one church, whether we're on campus or online. We celebrate together the reality of what Jesus has done for us on the cross and in the resurrection. And another thing that has continued to go on throughout this year is not only our worship services on site and online, but also uh, an opportunity to welcome new people into the church. And uh, I want to uh, introduce David and Judy Watkins to you. We'll just put their uh, faces up on the screen. They'll be with us. Uh, They plan to be here at the 11 o'clock service. I can introduce them in person there. But uh, they are Jennifer Dorsey's parents and Mark and Jennifer and their girls have been uh, part of our church for a long, long time. So now we welcome David and Judy into our gathering as well. So welcome aboard. Uh, Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word. So we sing praises to you and we give our gifts to you and then we open up our hearts to what you have to say to us in your word. Make us receptive. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the British... uh, preacher in the mid-20th century, G. Campbell Morgan, talked about uh, seeing a gravesite with a huge marble slab over it, but a huge oak tree was growing up in the midst of that marble slab. Uh, Obviously, decades earlier, when the grave was filled with dirt and that massive slab of stone was laid over it, somebody had overlooked a small acorn that had been left in the dirt, and over time, it grew into a tree that pushed through that granite and split it apart and sent the sections from to the right and to the left as that tree grew up. And being a preacher, Morgan immediately thought of the resurrection. Death is as final as that marble slab, it seems, but death doesn't get the last word. But the reality is that there are things in this life that seem so final before the finality of death the addiction that can't seem to be broken, the marriage that can't seem to be fixed, the change that can't seem to happen, the ones we love who can't seem to come into our relationship with Jesus Christ. Those things seem as immovable as a slab of stone over a grave, but the resurrection can make all the difference in those situations as well. We've been studying through the Gospel of John on Sunday mornings, and just in time for Easter, we get to this word from Jesus in John chapter 5. Let's take a look at verses 25 through 29. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself, and he has given him authority to judge 
because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. God bless the reading of his word. Now these words are about the present and about the future. These words are about what can happen in this day and what will happen on the last day. The key to understanding this passage of Scripture is this little phrase, a time is coming. We see it in verse 25 and we see it in verse 28. In verse 25, Jesus says, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. And then in verse 28, Jesus says, a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. These verses sound similar, but there is a key difference. In both of these verses, we read about those who are dead. In both of these verses, we read about those who are dead hearing the voice of Jesus. In both of these verses, we hear about those who are dead hearing the voice of Jesus and coming to life. But there's a key difference between verse 25 and 28. Because in verse 25, Jesus says, a time is coming and has now come. Whereas in verse 28, he says simply, a time is coming. So verse 25 is about what can happen today. Verse 28 is about what will happen on the last day. So let's look at each of those. You can write this down in your sermon notes. You'll find your sermon notes in your online bulletin or your paper bulletin if you're here in the building. So let's write this first point down. On this day, anyone can hear the voice of Jesus and come to life. Several years ago, I read about NASA's um, efforts to uh, gather recruits for the first manned space flight to Mars. It would be a one-way ticket. There would not be coming back, there would not be any coming back to earth. And yet, hundreds of people applied for this. And it was fodder for psychological study. Psychologists who were doing the research for this looked into this and found that a lot of the people who were applying for this one-way trip to Mars were doing so because they didn't like how life was turning out for them here. Things weren't working out for them here, and so they thought maybe they'd be able to have a better shot somewhere else. But what if you could have a new life today? What if it could happen right here today? Jesus says in John chapter 5 verse 25, very truly I tell you a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Now this is a very poetic way of speaking about becoming a Christian. Jesus says becoming a Christian is like the dead hearing Jesus' voice and responding to it and coming out into a new way of living. Christianity isn't just about going to heaven when you die. It is that, and we'll talk about that in just a moment, but it is also about a new reason for living now, a new power for living now, a new hope for living now. In the 17th century hymn, We're Marching to Zion, Isaac Watts put it this way, the hill of Zion yields a thousand sacred sweets before we reach the heavenly fields or walk the golden streets. What are those sacred sweets that he refers to that we can know and experience now? How about God's presence instead of loneliness? How about strength instead of weakness? How about joy instead of despair? 
How about confidence instead of uncertainty? All of those sacred sweets, as the song puts it, are available to us now before we reach the golden fields or walk the golden streets. A new life now. Now, how can that be? How can we have a new life now? Because we are united in a very profound, mystical way with one who has already died and is already living in heaven now. And so, in a sense, we have already died to an old way of life. We're living to a new way of life now because we are united to one who, who has already done so. I, I want you to think about it like this. When I was a little boy, my family would, from sometimes, we'd go to the YMCA swimming pool in Montgomery, Alabama. And I remember one particular time when my, when my dad put me up on his shoulders and he very slowly and dramatically started walking from the shallow end of the pool to the deep end of the pool. And uh, I remember as a little boy just giggling over the thrill of it and the silliness of it as my dad got lower and lower into the water. First his uh, chest was covered with water and then his shoulders were covered with water and then his neck was covered with water and then his nose was covered with water and then that hair that was put together with Vitalis so nicely was starting to swim in the water and I, I remember giggling about it, I remember laughing about it, but then it dawned on me. Because I was united to him, I was sharing in his experience. He was going under the water and so was I. Now that happened over 50 years ago, but I still remember what it felt like as a little boy, the thrill and a little bit of fear as I was entering into the same experience that he was because I was united on his shoulders with him. When you come into a relationship with Jesus, you're on his shoulders. You are united to him. And so, therefore, you have already died to sin because Jesus died that death for your sin. You are already beginning to experience the joys of heaven because you are united to a Lord who is already experiencing the joys of heaven. That's what it means to be united with Christ and therefore be alive to him. Now, take a look at Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 4 through 6. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Do you see how these verses describe a real experience now that is already happening in the present? The death that our sins deserved has already been paid. We've already died that death because we are united to a Lord who died on our behalf. The experiences that he is already having in heaven, we're beginning in an anticipatory way to experience those things because we are united to a God, to a Jesus who died and also rose again and is living in heaven in victory. Is there more to come? Of course there's more to come, and we'll look at that in just a moment. But even now, when you unite with Christ, you can begin to experience a new hope for living, a new reason for living, a new power for living now. Now, you might want to say, now, wait a minute, if this is true, then why do Christians sin? Why do Christians get cynical and bitter? Well, it's because Christians don't always live in alignment with the reality that is ours in union with Jesus Christ. We don't always live like we are awake. You've had that happen to you physically, right? And Monday morning, the alarm clock goes off, it's still dark, you shuffle into the kitchen, you open up those cabinets, you look at the coffee filters, you look at the coffee grounds, and you try to remember the recipe for coffee. You know? It happens, doesn't it? Maybe it happened to you this morning. I don't know. But it can also happen to us spiritually. We can be awakened to Christ in an instant, and we are saved. 
and yet we don't always live as if we are awake. I want you to think about this. There are 27 books that make up our New Testament, and most of those are letters calling Christians to live in alignment with the truth that is theirs. Most of the New Testament is a call to Christians to live as if these things are true because they are. So, for example, there's Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. I pray, Paul says, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. Now, why did he feel a need to pray that the Ephesian Christians would experience this? Because we don't always live as if we are awake. So he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be awakened, might be enlightened so that you may know this incomparably great power. I'm praying for you that you might really know the resources that are really yours. In the great book of Romans, he says the same thing to some people who assume that maybe perhaps the, uh, uh, the, the grace of God so sufficiently covers everything that we don't have to worry about, don't have to care about the way we live. Here's what Paul said in Romans chapter 6. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. You see what he's saying there? He's saying, don't you know? Which implies that sometimes we act as if we don't know. So he says, don't you know this? You, you, look back over your own baptism, he says. Think back over that experience of being brought under the water and back up again. You were buried with Christ in baptism. You were raised to walk in a new way of life. And then he says, reckon it so. Count it so. Regard it as true because it is. Live in, in alignment with these things. So that's what Christian maturity is. That's what Christian growth is. It's just more and more in your attitudes, in your thoughts, in your words, in your behavior, living in alignment with that which is true about you. You, are, you have been awakened to, by Christ. You are in union with him. You are dead to an old way of life. You are alive to a new way of life because in a profound, mystical way, you are united to him. You know, the 19th century poet, Gerard Manley Hopkins used such unusual meter and such startling phrases in his poetry. In one of his poems, he said this, let him Easter in us be a dayspring to the dimness of us. What a startling phrase that is. I mean, Easter is a noun, but he used it as a verb. He used it as something that can happen to us and within us. We think of Easter as a day on the calendar. We think of Easter as a Sunday where we can dress up and go to church. But he says Easter can be a verb. Let him Easter in you. Let him be a dayspring to the dimness that is in you. On this day, anyone can hear the voice of Jesus and come to life. But there's more. So I want you to write this down. On the last day, everyone will hear the voice of Jesus and come to life. So on this day, anyone can hear that voice and come to life. On the last day, everyone will hear that voice and come out of their graves. As I said, the key to understanding today's passage is the repeated phrase, a time is coming. We see it in verse 25. We see it in verse 28. In verse 25, Jesus says that uh, 
you can hear the voice of, of, of Jesus today and come alive, come to life in him. Verse 28 says that a day is coming when we will all hear the voice of Jesus and come out of our graves. Easter is a good time to remember that in the Bible, Christ, the resurrection of Christ, is called the first fruits. We find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The Jewish farmers would see the first olives on a tree. They would see the first golden heads of grain in the fields. And when they, they would call those things the first fruits. It was a promise. It was an indication that there was more to come. Jesus is called, his resurrection is called the first fruits, which is an indication that there is more to come. In today's passage, we see how that's going to happen. The one who was raised on Easter will call out, and everyone will hear his voice and come out. As a Christian poet, uh, a man named Stephen Rybicki uh, tried to capture the anticipation of that day. I'm going to read this short poem to you, and, and you're going to see as I read it that at first, when you first run across this poem, there's a little bit of disorientation. You don't know exactly where you are because he speaks about waking up. But when you wake up, your eyes open and you see the ceiling if you're, if you're lying in your bed. In this particular poem, this guy wakes up and he looks through grass as through a gate. Let me read this to you. What could I make of the grass? But a gate to the skies, looking up, clouds floating by like the shapes of the dead ones as radiant as angels. And when I opened the earth, their tombs were all empty. My mother and father, the first to speak, come here, son. Oh, how we missed you. All I could do was weep. Isn't that beautiful? But the thought pretty quickly turns from comfort to an unsettling concern. Because if we think that there's life beyond this life, we start immediately wondering how prepared we are for the evaluation that comes in the next life. How have we done in this life? And is, is it enough to get us ready for the coming into uh, the next life? Uh, maybe you remember that closing scene in the movie Saving Private Ryan from well, a couple of decades ago now. And, you know, you get to the end of the movie and there's that old man and the, among the tombstones, the gravestones at Normandy, and you realize by this point that that man is actually Private Ryan, the man that so many other men died to rescue, to save. And there's this emotion, there's this realization that comes from him. He turns to his wife in desperation and says, please tell me I'm a good man. Please tell me that I lived a good life. There seems to be this acknowledgement, this recognition as we come to the, this recognition of mortality, the recognition that this life ends. How did I live this life? Am I ready to enter into the next life? And in today's text, Jesus said in verses 28 and 29, a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear the voice of, the, of his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. All will come out. All will awaken. Some to life that is really life, and others to be judged and condemned. Now, I know that people say that they don't like this type of teaching from the New Testament letters and from the Old Testament. They say that they don't like this part of the Christian truth. 
But I think deep down, every one of us really hope that life really is like this. We read about atrocities that have happened in human history. People have acted so unjustly, so cruelly to other people. Or we know that there are countless numbers of people who've lived honorable lives, they've stood up to injustice and they were cut down and nobody ever remembers their names. And we want there to be somebody who sees all of that we want there to be somebody who does something about all of that. We want justice. We want vindication to be done. I read about or read an essay by the Nobel Prize winning Polish poet, Czesław uh, Milos. And you remember Marx called religion the opiate of the people. He believed that uh, religious views, Christianity and everything else, teaching that there's a better life by and by causes us to be sort of dazed and indifferent to the injustices and the things that need to be done here on this earth. But Milos said that's not the way it is at all. In this, po in the, in this uh, essay, the poet said, a true opium of the people is a belief in nothingness after death. The huge solace of thinking that our betrayals, greed, cowardice, murders are not going to be judged, but all religions recognize that our deeds are imperishable. Don't you like that line? Our deeds are imperishable. What we want is that the betrayals and the greed and the cowardice and the murders committed by other people would be recognized by somebody and judged. Now, deep down, that's really the way we want life to work, but the unsettling thing is if that's the way life does work, then are we ready for that evaluation? Are we ready for that judgment? T.S. Eliot, the English poet of the last century, said what we really find unsettling about death is not death itself. He says what we fear is not what we call death, but what beyond death is not death. Is there a way to move toward that upcoming evaluation with a sober confidence instead of an unsettling fear? The answer is yes. In verse 29, what we're being told is that those who hear the voice of Jesus now and are letting Jesus live in them now will hear that voice at the end of time and receive it with joy and with confidence. So that's what's really being said in verse 29 about the judgment of our behavior. If you take verse 29 out of context, it sounds like every other world religion. If you take verse 29 out of context, it sounds like the civil religion that many people in our own culture practice, which is an assumption that we earn moral merit badges, we go through the right number of rituals, we see to it that our good deeds outweigh our bad deeds, and we're in. That's the assumption that a lot of people have, and so they look at verse 29 and they assume that that's what's being said here. And I'll tell you that the Bible warns us about that particular attitude. The Bible warns us that if we assume that it is our performance, our behavior, that gets us in a right standing with God, it will only end in one of two ways, either pride or despair. It'll end in pride for some people, thinking that they've made it, that they've done everything right or done enough things right, that they uh, have outlasted and, and, and done better than their, their neighbors and others, and so they're in. They fall into pride. Or 
very conscientious people realize that they can't keep up with all the demands, all the expectations, and they fall into despair and self-loathing. Those are the only two options you have if you think that being right with God is all about your performance. But that's not what we're finding in verse 29. A relationship with Jesus should change you. It should make you less bitter, more forgiving, more disciplined. You hear the voice of Jesus calling out to you now. You respond to that. You enter into a relationship with him. And if you do, there will start to be evidences of that in your life. It can't help but start showing up as differences in your life. In my backyard, I've got a a fig tree. And uh, it's starting to green up now after all that terrible storm that we had. And Pretty soon I can anticipate some fruit on that tree. Now think about this. The fruit that will come off of that tree doesn't produce the life of that tree, does it? But the fruit is evidence that there is life in that tree. In the same way, as you change behavior, as you realign yourself with the life of the living Christ, as you change your way of thinking and your attitudes. That doesn't bring life to you, but that is evidence that life has come to you. And that's what we're being told in verse 29 that is going to be evaluated at the end of time. And that's why Paul says elsewhere in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, look at this. Therefore, my dear friends, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Verse 12 is about what we do. Verse 13 is about what God does. Verse 12 is about you working out the implications of your salvation with fear and trembling, aligning yourself to the new way of life Christ has called you into and do so with fear and trembling, knowing that there is an evaluation coming. But verse 13 tells us what God does. Because you have united to Jesus Christ, God is at work in you to give you the want to, to give you the will, and to enable you to act in the way that he wants you to act. As we go through life with, with, with the conviction of both of those verses, we go through life the way God would want us to, striving, working hard, but entering into that next life with confidence that the God who called you to life in this life is the voice you're going to hear with joy and confidence as he awakens you into the next life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. As our heads are bowed in prayer and our eyes are closed, it may be that you need to respond to the call of Christ and be awakened by the voice of Christ. It can happen today. It can happen right now because of Easter. Jesus died on the cross and he rose again, but by uniting to him, you get on his shoulders, so to speak, and go to the deep end of the pool and back up again. Would you like to do something like that today? Maybe you could pray a prayer like this in your heart. Dear Jesus, come into my life and save me. I want to unite with you and die to an old way of life and begin to experience a new way of life. I ask, Lord, that you would be my Savior and my Lord. Help me learn more about all you've done for me. Help me to learn more about 
uh, who you are, your character, what you expect of me all the days of my life. Now, there are others of us who need to pray a different kind of prayer. We, some time ago, heard the voice of Jesus and we awake, awakened to that voice, but we're not living very awake. Some areas of our life, we're still living in the sleepiness, the, the, the deadness of it. And so, maybe what you need to do is pray a prayer like this. Dear Jesus, thank you for waking me up. Whether it was a few years ago, a few decades ago, you woke me up. But I have to admit that I've been sort of stumbling sleepily through life. And I haven't lived in alignment with the wonderful life that you've called me into. I ask then that you would um, help me to remember how united to you I died to an old way of life and I'm alive to a new way of life now. Help me to live in that sort of way so that when I come to the end of my life, I will hear your voice calling me into eternal life and it will be a, a, a joyful call, a confidence in my heart as I hear that voice because I've received you into my life and I've sought to live in alignment with that truth. Now, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with all of us here today online and on campus that as we have sung these songs and we've studied your word that we'll go out with a new determination to live in alignment with the truths we know. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This concludes our podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Join us next time as Dr. Goodman continues through the Gospel of John with a message titled, Three Voices from a Witness Stand. I'm your host, John Parker, and this has been Hillcrest To Go. For more information, please contact us at hillcrest.church.